There are some foods that stick with you. You know what I mean? They're, they're delicious and they add these amazing accents to the meal that you're eating in the moment, but then they don't leave. And instead, they leave an aftertaste. Maybe even a little bit more. I, I found this uh, crowd-created list of the worst foods, the foods that give you the worst af- aftertaste and stick with you the most. And a few of the foods that were in the, the top ten there were these. Onions, garlic, coffee, cheese. Like, seriously? Like, I, I love all those foods. I, And I am willing to eat them and deal with the aftertaste that's going to come, but sometimes then I get a little self-conscious. Like, are people going to start backing up as I'm talking to them because my breath maybe isn't the best? Or should I really kiss my wife? Or will she be repulsed by that? I've been told that garlic is actually a really bad one for me. <laughs> and uh, so that I start to wonder, you know, are, are all the people in the room, they, they start to look around and think, where's that funky smell coming from? And start directing their eyes my way. And so I love these foods, but when I eat them, there's like this kind of social emotional debate that's going on in my mind there's kind of these like sad depressing conversations that i'm having with myself that are concerned about what other people are going to think what other people are going to say how other people are going to react Now, most of my friends and my family, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they will either put up with that or ignore it. I, I don't think that I'm going to lose them as, as friends and family members, but are there times when you have these social, emotional dilemmas going on in your own mind? Are there sometimes some sad, depressing conversations that take place in your heart and in your mind, and and they're focused and they're concerned about what other people are going to say or what other people are going to think about you. And those those social-emotional dilemmas, they, they might not have anything to do with food, actually they might be far heavier, far more important. And if you've ever had those those sad, depressing conversations about what other people are going to think or do or say, today we want to notice that and we want to name it for the emotion and the feeling that it is, shame. And shame steals. Shame steals 
your joy. The joy that God desires that you experience as you live this life, shame steals that. And shame steals confidence. It steals the confidence with which God would have you live because you know that you are his own dear child and his own workmanship. And shame steals hope. And instead of hope, it brings despair, sadness, defeat, and bitterness. Our number one core value here at Divine Savior is that we thrive on more joy than guilt. We are so excited about God's grace to us in Christ Jesus and that message and what it says, but shame doesn't allow you to thrive. Shame steals that, that joy too. And shame is different than guilt. See, guilt is a fact. Sometimes guilt can be a feeling too. It can be an emotion as well. But guilt itself is a fact. It's objective. Guilt comes when we have crossed a moral boundary. When we have failed to do something that is godly or we have done something that is ungodly, then, then there's guilt. But thankfully we know that there is also grace and forgiveness. Shame is subjective. Shame is more emotion and feeling, and, and shame can be connected to guilt. But shame is a little bit different. When I've had a moment, or maybe even an entire day, where I have acted, well, let's just say, not righteously, that sticks with me. It can consume my mind when I realize that. I can be thinking about it constantly. It can distract me away from other things. I can get nervous around the people who maybe witnessed and experienced my actions. In fact, it happened this last week. In a conversation with somebody, I said something in a very emotionally charged state that I probably shouldn't have said. And so you know what happened? When I saw that person with whom I had been talking, they were coming walking up to me. This is what I did. Right? Don't make eye contact. Don't acknowledge it because then, then you have to think about it. Then you have that fear of whether they're angry with you, that, that fear of what they're thinking in their own mind. And whether that fear is, is real or not, it doesn't matter because you feel that shame. And that shame can be constant. It can be bothering you. It can distract you from all kinds of things because shame is concerned with how others view us and their opinions and their judgments. 
And when we do face rude comments or mean remarks or degrading names, that just adds to the shame that we feel. And Jesus doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to live your life with shame. But I have this fear that many people have a misunderstanding about the message of the Bible and a misunderstanding that actually contributes to their shame. Do you ever fearfully wonder about your worthiness of Christ's love? Do you ever wonder about the opinion that Jesus has of you? I think that Peter and Judas probably did. The two of them, super close friends with Jesus, and on one Thursday night, their actions seem to give many reasons for shame. It was on that night, forged out of pride and greed, that Judas's decision to betray his friend, his Lord, his master, came to their horrific conclusion. And it was earlier in that night that Jesus, he had instituted the Lord's Supper, this this meal that he wanted to be a remembrance of his sacrifice, his death. And he said this, Jesus said, The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And Judas was in the room. And Jesus sought to call Judas back to repentance, to turn him away from an action that Jesus knew was going to bring deep shame to his heart. He warned Judas of the sin that that crouched right at his door. And then all of the disciples, because of that comment from Jesus, they got into what the gospel writer euphemistically, I think, calls a discussion because it was a discussion about who among them was the greatest. Have you ever been in a room where there's 12 guys talking about who's the best? I don't know if it's a discussion. Can you imagine the the boasts that were made during that discussion? I healed a woman from her disease. Yeah, well, I made a lame man to walk. I drove out 10 demons. I drove out 11. I was the first to follow Jesus. I was the first to call him the Christ. I walked on water. And Jesus finally put an end to the conversation, sternly rebuked his disciples and told them instead how as his disciples they should serve and love one another. Do you think they felt a little shame over those boasts, over the conversation? And then Jesus, he specifically warned Peter. 
said to him, Simon, that's another name for Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus could already see the difficult night that lay ahead for the disciples and especially for Peter. And so Jesus called for humility from Peter, but the response that he got was filled with pride. Peter said this, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And it was then that Jesus lovingly predicted the denial that would come later that night in the courtyard of the high priest. More shame comes as Jesus goes out with those friends of his to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he goes there to pray, and he says to his disciples, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And all the disciples fell asleep. In the time of their friend's greatest need, when he needed them to help him and to strengthen him, they fell asleep. Peter included. And Peter, then he was wide awake when Judas came with the soldiers and the temple guards and, and they came into that garden to arrest Jesus. Then Peter drew his sword and he was the one who struck that servant to the high priest, cut off his ear, and Jesus had to sternly rebuke him, no more of this, put your sword away. Peter reacted with violence and anger at that moment when he had the opportunity to stand up for Jesus. And then later that night when he had another opportunity to stand up for Jesus and to use the sword of the Spirit and to make a clear confession that he was the Christ, then Peter backed away. And he denied him. Three times. He denied his Lord, his friend. And then the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked right at Peter. Do you think that Peter felt shame in that moment? Do you think that Peter wondered about Jesus' opinion of him? The shame stole from Peter and Judas both. Stole their joy. Stole their confidence. I mean, there was certainly guilt to their actions. That was, that was a fact. They had done what was wrong, but there was also grace and mercy and forgiveness from Jesus. But shame wanted to steal that away too. And unfortunately, if you know the rest of the story for Judas, shame stole from him. It stole that hope of forgiveness. It stole Judas's very life and soul. And shame had stolen from Peter too. 
his joy in Jesus, the confidence he had in his faith. And shame wanted to steal away his hope. But Jesus brought that back. You know, the amazing thing is that Jesus didn't want this for either of them. You see how Jesus called them both back to repentance. When Judas came up, he, he called him friend. He said, are, are you really betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? One final last-ditch effort to get him to turn in repentance. When Jesus looked at Peter, he looked at him out of loving concern. And even though Peter ran off and did what shame forced him to do, to, to weep in bitterness, because that's the taste that shame brings into our mouths, this bitter feeling, and all you can do is weep, Jesus didn't want that for him. And Jesus knew that both of these things would happen. He knew ahead of time, and so you think, wouldn't that make Jesus more bitter, more angry, more upset, less likely to forgive? No. Not Jesus. No, Jesus was eager to forgive. Jesus is still eager to forgive. And he knows how shame can eat at you. He knows the, the bitter taste that it can leave in your mouth. He knows how it can take away your joy. And Jesus does not want that for you. He didn't want it for them. He doesn't want it for you. And he doesn't want it so bad that he died for you. You see, the only way for us to fully navigate our shame is to begin to fully comprehend Jesus' love. It takes a lot for us to inconvenience ourselves, right? I mean, even just the little things in our life. To go to that restaurant that you don't really like, but she does, and you like her, so you'll go. Take sacrifice. To sit through the, the baseball game when we think that baseball is boring. I, some people out there, I don't know. To sit through the orchestral performance when you would rather be jumping and dancing at a rock concert. Even just to throw on the swimsuit and run through the sprinkler with our kids, as much as we might find joy in that in the moment, like to actually do it, it, it takes a little sacrifice. To volunteer for the task at work that no one wants to do. To, to clean out the, the coffee pot just so somebody else doesn't have to. All of these mini sacrifices, and we feel every single one of them. So how much does it take to be willing to die for someone? How much does it take to be willing to die for the world? 
That's what Jesus did for you. And when Jesus died for you, he didn't just jump in front of a bullet or, or push you out of the way of an oncoming bus. As heroic as those acts of selfless love are, they don't compare to what Jesus did because what Jesus did, his sacrifice was fully and completely, thoroughly premeditated. It was the plan from the very beginning and Jesus knew every single reason that you would have for feeling shame and none of them stopped him from going to the cross. They didn't stop him from loving you. They didn't detract from the worthiness and the value that he had placed on you. They didn't steal his joy in having you as a brother or a sister. That's why Jesus was there. That's why Jesus was there in that upper room with those disciples in the city of Jerusalem where the leaders were plotting to kill him. That's why Jesus went out to that same favorite place that he always went to, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knew that Judas would know that he was going to go there so that he could pray and wait for Judas to come with those soldiers. That's why he told his disciples, his friends, to put down their swords so that his hands could be bound and he could be led away. That's why he was willing to be interrogated in the middle of the night by the high priest, a man that he had created. And it's why he was willing to hang and bleed and die on a cross and feel the wrath of God over sin. Because he was willing to sacrifice for you. So that you would know forgiveness. He was there to fulfill his mission to save and rescue you and take away anything and everything that might give you reason to feel shame. Yeah, shame stole away Peter's joy and his confidence and the hope that he had in his faith, but Jesus brought all of those things back. Jesus' grace and mercy brought back hope. The empty tomb and the resurrected Lord brought back joy and confidence. It brought that back to Peter and it can bring it to you. Peter himself had tasted how good the Lord's mercy is. And that's why Peter could be the one to write this letter to encourage Christians, to encourage you and me to crave the pure spiritual milk of this message of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Because we too have tasted that the Lord is good. It's why Peter could tell us to come to this cornerstone that is Christ Jesus our Savior to build on him as the foundation of our life because anyone and everyone who trusts in him, they will never be put to shame. It's because of God's grace that Peter himself could write about himself and about you and he could use words like this chosen, royal, holy, God's special possession. Yes, denying, sleeping, weeping Peter could say, once I did not have mercy, but now I have mercy. And so do you.
So dear brothers and sisters, I invite you to live life unashamed. Not because there aren't reasons in your life to feel shame, they probably are. But live life unashamed because of Jesus. Live life unashamed because you have a Savior who is greater than all your shame. You have a Savior who has covered it with his grace and mercy. You have a Savior who cares so much that he went to the cross. And it's his opinion that truly matters. Only Jesus' opinion matters. And Jesus has the very best opinion of you. A very high opinion of you. And that truth brings the sweetest taste to your mouth. A taste that can linger and last throughout this life and into eternity, the sweet taste of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus.